You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Welcome to the 602 Club, Trek FM's local watering hole. We are back for 2019, and if you're listening to this in the future, just forget I said that. I'm so excited to be here tonight here in the 602 Club. And before we get to anything else, got a big announcement for everyone. Over the holidays, talk to my good friend, Christy Morris, and we have decided that she is going to come on the show as the co-host. So, Christy, welcome to the 602 Club. Woo! Thank you for having me. Permanently. I, I'm really excited to, to have you here to, to be the co-host on the show. And so that means that for everybody listening, Christy will be on most of the shows with me, as well as other guests that will still come on as well. So, you know, don't fret. You're still going to hear plenty of other people that you love and know. But Christy is going to be here to help me break down movies and TV and all sorts of stuff. Um, honestly, this just helps me out a ton. And I love Christy and I love what she brings to the show. And I couldn't think of anyone better to help me out uh, continue bringing you the best that we possibly can here at the 602 Club. So, uh, Christy, enjoy the official Christy Morris seat now. It's got your plaque and your name on it and everything. So, yeah, I hope you'll enjoy that. Ooh. Well, someone's got to keep you in check. <laughs> this is this is true. Uh, <laughs> I have been unchecked for too long. But don't, don't fret, folks. We've got back an oldie but a goodie somebody i've known in podcasting for a very long time here at trek fm but the one and only michael schindler hey how's it going it it's going great man i honestly um i'd have to look back and i'm a bad podcaster and i didn't um but it, i feel like it's been a really long time since you've been on it i i'm trying to think of the last time that you were on the show was it possibly i don't know ghost in the shell could have been We're talking about some some dumb movie or other. I don't know. Who Probably. Knows? I mean, that's kind of what we do here, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, I'm excited to have both of you on. Uh, now, nobody knows what we're covering just yet. But Christy, why don't you tell everybody what we're going to be talking about tonight and, and kind of what the series is going to be to start off the year? So we're really excited to dive into this because uh, if you didn't know, this year is coming out the third installment of what was originally only one movie and is now turned into three. Um, I'm going to probably butcher his name, but M. Night Shyamalan um, originally did the movie in the year 2000, Unbreakable, with Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson starring. And now it's turned into three movies with Split coming out a few years later. And then this year, uh, very soon, will be coming out Glass. So we'll be covering all three. Yes, which, you know, I, I, I'll be honest... When the trailer came out for Split, I thought to myself, that looks awful. I don't want to see that. 
And if you'll really? recall, not to t- say I told you so, but I kept on saying, you have to see this movie. And you said, there's no way I'm ever going to watch this movie. And I said, yeah, you will. So you might as well watch <laughs> it now before someone ruins it for you. And you said, nope. And I said, okay, let's see how this plays out. And here we are today. And Mike was <sighs> right. I figured I'd let you have that one, Mike. Thanks. It's the one time that you've been right in life. Yeah. So I got to let you, you know, have that one. Thanks. <laughs> but you know what? I mean, I would just admit, you know, that happens every once in a while where there's just something that doesn't really appeal to me. But um, I'll take last year. Um, Into the Spider-Verse did not appeal to me. And I think part of that was just the Spider-Man craze. And I'm, I'm tired of Spider-Man. And it just, the trailers didn't do anything for me, but there's, there's all the buzz around it. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to give it a chance. And sometimes they win me over and, and well, we'll talk about that one later on this month in the 602 club to see what happened, but you know, it happens. And so I'm really excited that we're going to be talking about all three of these films here on the 602 club. Uh, Before we get to the movie, just remember, you can find Trek FM and the 602 Club wherever you get your podcasts. Um, go over to Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Give us a star rating review. Help the show grow. Start off the new year right by helping the 602 Club with that star rating and review. Uh, it's been a long time since we've gotten some new reviews, and, and it really does. It makes a huge difference on people finding the show. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Heck, we're even on Spotify. You can also find us uh, on Twitter, at TrekFM. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash TrekFM. We've got our listeners-only discussion group, so if there's anything in the 602 Club or anywhere else on TrekFM you're wanting to talk to other listeners about, the Babel Conference is for you. Go over to Facebook, type Babel into the search field there, and it'll get you to the group. Or if you're on the website at trek.fm, you can hit discussion on any of the menu bars, and that would bring you over. And then last but not least, maybe you want to send an email to Christy and I about anything that we're talking about here on the 602 Club. You're going to want to go over to trek.fm slash contact, choose a show, choose the 602 Club, and that'll come to us, and we'll be able to respond to you in kind. So all that said, all of that preamble... I, I wanted to ask you guys kind of what your Shyamalan experience has been with this movie because it's a little bit different for me. I did not see this movie. You know, this came out after The Sixth Sense. It was his next film. And for some reason for me, I just missed this one for years and years and years. So I'm kind of wondering where you guys are coming to this movie from. Mike, was this something that, you know, you saw the sixth sense and you saw this was come out and you immediately saw this when it opened or, uh, did you wait? Yeah, no, I mean, I saw it, well, I saw it two days after it came out. I saw it on black Friday, 2000. And, um, I had seen the sixth sense and I loved it just like everyone else. And because of that, I was going to go see Shyamalan's next movie, no matter what. And, you know, this seemed like an interesting premise and everything, but I sat down in the theater the Oak Brook Theater, which it's been so long that that theater closed for 10 years and reopened in the time it took for us to get a sequel to this movie. But regardless of that, um, I went to the Oak Brook Theater and I saw it. And, you know, immediately when that uh, opening um, title card comes up on screen where they start giving all these stats about comic books, I'm like, what's going on? Because they completely buried any comic book stuff in the market it was not there at all and i was like what is this and then i saw and i was like oh this is one of the best movies ever made isn't it okay that's cool 
Like, what about you, Christy? That's a pretty high praise. Uh, yeah, it, yeah uh, Mike for me, gives it away right up front. Sorry, spoilers. <laughs> what a twist. <laughs> we know what your rating's going to be. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I was the same as Mike. I saw it uh, as soon as it came out in theaters in 2000. Um, giving away my age, I'll tell you, I was 13. <laughs> I was um, 20, so... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't I'm matter. I'm giving away my age. So. Um, I, I, um, wanted to add that in there to say that it was a big deal for me because it was one of the first movies of, you know, the PG 13 that I was able to go see. And so I really wanted to, and I had recently seen the sixth sense with a friend. Um, so I definitely wanted to see this one. And, um, it, it was hard for me because in general, I really don't like scary movies. I can't watch a horror film because I actually get haunted by nightmares forever still as an adult but suspense i can deal with and so these kind of movies have always been been like right perfect in my wheelhouse enough to tolerate but still enjoyable so i i um i think it was really um cool too that like you mentioned mike that they brought in the statistics about comics and that comics played such a big role in this movie because it makes you think that it came from a comic when it didn't for me, um, I don't know how I ended up missing this because I saw The Sixth Sense and I liked it like everybody else. You know, it was, it was such a, a, a watershed moment for film, I think, for a lot of people. I mean, 1999, think about that. You know, you had The Sixth Sense, uh, you had The Phantom Menace, you had The Matrix. I mean, it's a huge moment for movies for a lot of people uh, in our collective, we'll call it our collective age range um, to make myself feel better. Uh, but, you know, I missed this one. And so the next movie by him that I saw was Signs. I didn't really like Signs. Aww. I really hate The Village. Um, and Lady in the Water was just not good. Um, and so, like, I have all these movies that I'm like, oh, of his, and then by the time the happening and the last Airbender happened, I I stopped paying attention to M Night Shyamalan because to me he's like synonymous with he can't make a good movie anymore, and so it took me a while to go back, circle back, and watch this one, and I think, um, I I don't know I don't know if I want to bury the lead at all because I. To me, I I could I feel like I could argue this is his best movie. Like it's so good, and it's even rewatching it uh, last night with my wife. I, it's been a long time since I've seen it, and so getting a chance to watch it again, I was just super shocked about how well this movie holds up and just how good it is. And so it's to me him as a filmmaker. There's this, there's this, like, he can do amazing movies, and then he can just go off the deep end with movies. Um, but this one, I think, works in, in so many ways. And I think that, you know, you, both of you kind of called out something that's fascinating about this, is, is it really, it's maybe the most unique comic book movie that's ever been made. Well, I mean, the thing about it, which I think is cool, is that it's really sort of like a deconstruction of comic books. You know, in, in in a way that a lot of movies which try to do that kind of fail by setting itself outside of that realm, by not being a comic book adaptation. It's a movie about comic books, but not a comic book movie. And 
it's extraordinarily effective in that regard. You hit the nail on the head exactly because I I did look into that further, um, and it it was actually designed by Shyamalan to follow comic book structure, apparently. So it has acts one, two, and three, and then it it follows the same way that a traditional hero and villain comic would go, um, where you know it's it's got the setup, then it's got the um, conflict, and then it's got the resolution or the climax in the end. Um, and I mean, this movie in particular, I know all of us obviously know what the big twist is at the end, but the first time I saw it, I never guessed that it was coming. And I was wondering if either of you did. I did not. But, you know, what you're saying about it following comic book structure and everything like that, rewatching it, it's so obvious that you wonder how you could miss it. I mean, because you're not right. in that mindset. It does a great job of just of using that structure and and working if you start to analyze it from a distant perspective. But if you're just in it, it's just a movie and you're along for the ride and, and it works on that level too. And it's like you're not seeing all the hints that he's giving until it gets you and then you just go, oh man. Yeah. Well, I think there's a real, uh, to me, there was a real genius in the sense of the, marketing in the film to not give that away so you didn't come into the movie in that mindset oh this is this movie has to do with comic books because i I think the fact that you know the the first real mention of that is the first time you watch it if you don't really have any knowledge of this movie is just the beginning where they open up with all these statistics about comic books and then even throughout the movie you're kind of wondering okay how does this play into this but i think you're absolutely right mike when you rewatch it again you see the the, the pieces of the puzzle now it it almost reminds me of you remember in the last crusade where he walks across the bridge, you know, and it's a leap of faith from one side, but it's not from the other because he throws the pebbles on the bridge and now he can see it. Like, I feel this is exactly what happens with a lot of Shyamalan's movies in the sense that there's always that big reveal and that kind of um, explosion of information at the end that changes the way that you view the rest of the movie. I would say, and I, I wanted to ask you guys, do you... I, I think I think this is his most successful version of that because you can rewatch it multiple times and still feel like you're getting a lot out of the movie instead of like once the reveals happened, you're like, oh well, I mean, you know, it 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 it's just not as fulfilling to rewatch. That may be true. I I think that he's extremely good at these reveals and these twists. Uh there's very few of them were, which I think don't work. I think the only one that I was ahead of, like by watching the trailer, was the village. Um, but all of the other ones, I mean, they totally yeah, me took too. me by the village. I was like, oh right. gosh, yeah. But uh, all the other ones really did take me by surprise, and um, I, I think are extremely effective and really add to the overall story. They're not just there as a gimmick. But well, no, and I, I, I agree too. I mean, uh, even this, you know, I would say. Let me put it this way. I love The Sixth Sense, but it's not a movie I want to rewatch a lot because once I know the gimmick, once I know the reveal, the the movie I don't feel like is quite as good in the rewatch now because there isn't as much to draw me in. Whereas rewatching this movie, I know what's coming, but I felt like 
now I get to appreciate a whole new level of different things that are happening throughout the movie. Like you were talking about like the structure of the comics and everything and, and how he's working all that together. Like I feel like there's a appreciation for all of that artistry. Whereas I didn't like, again, like maybe the sixth sense, I just don't feel that as much now if I were to rewatch it because that reveal is so there. I just don't feel like there is as much material there when I rewatch. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I, I get that. Although I um, feel like that one was still rewatchable for me just because it's so emotional of a movie because you're dealing literally with life and death. Even though I know that that, that reveal is coming, I still like, um, like I was reliving today talking to my husband about the scene with the little girl under the tent with him. And, you know, that at first it's really disturbing because all of a sudden there's a girl there and she's throwing up. But um then later you realize why and then it sinks in oh that's actually really sad um so i i think that it's still rewatchable for me but devil's advocate <laughs> yeah no I, I think that that's a movie which works regardless of the twist you know so yeah i i agree that it is extremely rewatchable i mean not as rewatchable as unbreakable but definitely yeah so maybe it comes in second and I can totally get that. I think I think that's the thing that I was kind of blown away with, especially in this rewatch, is just how much this movie still works, even though I know what's coming. Like I I know the reveal. I felt like there's he he's crafted the movie in a way that allows me to go in then and pick up all of the things that have to do with the reveal as I'm I'm watching it again. Um, and you know again like I I think you rightly pointing out christy just picking up that structure and getting to see like oh my gosh why like you said mike why didn't i get this the first time that this is basically just a comic book you know um you know beat for beat and an issue of a, a comic book and and i think that's what makes it so great and like you said too mike i think you're right the 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 deconstruction of what it means to be a comic and in many ways i don't know I don't know if I would call it so much a deconstruction of a comic book as much as I would call it a love letter to why we love comic books. You know, Not like true. they're they're kind of like he's he's doing such a good job of, of, of explaining the very things in this movie to which we love about comic books, why we respond to those stories so much. The good, the evil, the hero, the villain, you know, um, the yin and the yang of these type of stories and the back and forth of them. Uh, to me, that's what it, uh, that's what it, he, he really seems to be doing as a as a writer and director here is 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 kind of trying to explain why is it that we keep loving these stories, you know, thousands upon thousands of pages of comics, you know, written, you know, the statistic, what was it? Um a person will spend a year of their life reading comic books. Yeah. Which I don't know. I might've spent more than a year of my life already at this point. Um, but yeah, I just like, we love these things so much. And why is that? And I feel like this movie is, is kind of like the quintessential explanation of what it is that we love about comic books tied into a story that mimics a comic book for us to show us what it is that we love by creating an incredible movie in the comic book structure. 
Yeah, I, I think it it sh- it shows why we love them by deconstructing them because there's also this you know sort of meta thing going on where it's not just a movie with a comic book structure, but it is also a movie about analyzing comic books and what they mean and and you know why they're important and all the rest of it. So, I mean, it, it works on a lot of different levels. But you're right about you know showing us why we love comics because, I mean, at the time, yeah, I was 20 years old and I had just stopped working at a comic book store, which I had worked at throughout high school. And I had a box of comics which was sitting unread because I was losing interest in them. And I remember coming home from this movie and grabbing that box and starting to sort through them and starting to read a whole bunch of comics, you know, and that that lasted for like a good two or three days days that it re-inspired <laughs> you to go back and read yeah. <laughs> oh, right. days yeah. that's it you know? <laughs> not weeks not years nah you know i lost interest <laughs> again what can you do well you know comics you only have so much money right that's definitely true yeah i i honestly um was into a couple of comics as a kid just because my grandfather and my dad had introduced them to me more like archie kind of stuff and then it wasn't till I met my husband in college that I actually got into reading Marvel and DC stuff on a regular basis um, because I just wasn't aware of it. I mean, obviously, I'd known about movies and stuff that was out, but um, didn't really develop a love for comics until then. And then since then, it's only continued to get bigger. Um, I think eventually I just realized that I wasn't going to have enough physical space to continue to have comics to keep um and so i've gotten out of reading them again but um i i got really into especially the dc stuff and catwoman is my favorite comic book character um and and this movie did the same thing for me it reminded me what i loved about them and i think i definitely got from it exactly what i wrote in my notes was what you said matt the yin and yang of this movie um, about how everything has a balance and that every hero has to have a villain and that it's always about the give and take of the dark and the light um, that makes a good story. And I love even that this movie takes it into um, there are gray areas where, you know, David is not always 100% a hero and he doesn't walk around claiming to be either. You know, he just thinks of himself as a, a ordinary guy. That is a great segue, Christy. This is why she's going to choose the new co-host. Because, you know, casting <laughs> Bruce Willis, I think, is fantastic. Because we know him from all of these roles, like, you know, Die Hard and stuff like that. But I, they start off the movie in a way that, like, he's a jerk. Like, yep. he's the guy on the train who's taking off his ring so he can hit on a woman that's not his wife. Like... He's he doesn't they they start off the movie in a place where he's not very likable. And I don't know if they meant to or if Shyamalan was trying to say something else with that scene like, oh, he and his wife are having trouble. But it comes across to no matter whether a man or a woman exactly like that, Matt, that he's taken off his ring to hit on another woman. It's not likable at all. But yeah, I mean, he he goes in a lot better place than that eventually. Do you do you think that that Mike that um, one of the reasons that maybe they make that decision to kind of start him in that place is because if you cast Bruce Willis, you kind of do immediately like him, 
but you maybe want to create an even, you know, a deeper arc of a guy who kind of comes out of being something that you're, you know, you, you wouldn't necessarily say you're a fan of, a guy who's ready to be a cheater, um, to a guy who's not only ready to be a hero, but kind of fully embrace himself and his family, and that, you know, um, I don't know, it feels like maybe that's a story choice, because when you cast Bruce Willis, you kind of immediately want to like the guy or give him the benefit of the doubt. I mean, maybe we're looking at this through, like... Or maybe I'm looking at this through, you know, 2019 colored glasses, but I don't think that likable necessarily applies to Bruce Willis right off the bat. Um, but maybe maybe it did back in 2000. I don't know. I think th the point of that scene, regardless of the casting, was to show that he was a flawed person, a flawed human person, and not a superhero. And even when he does eventually become a superhero, it's in a very sort of realistic way. He's still not, he's not Superman. You know, he's a guy who's fumbling through all of this, you know, whether it's life, whether it's through his marriage or whether it's through saving people, he's figuring it out. He's not good at it. And uh, he's just doing it the way a regular person would. Well, and I especially liked the way that, you know, when he goes to uh, the train station for the first time and, you know, Elijah tells him that this is not going to be like a comic book, you know, and the experiences he has as he kind of flashes on all of these people and the awful, I mean, he's, he's confronted by the absolute worst of, of some of the things that humanity does to one another. And like, how do you, like, you're, he's just at this point he's just been a normal guy but how do you deal with that yeah he might have super strength but that doesn't make him invulnerable to uh the emotional damage of seeing people treat each other like this and like i really appreciated the way that Shyamalan does those flashes and he just makes he he just makes david dunn experience the worst of humanity in that that time frame and it makes me really wonder, like, how could you not kind of, like, go insane in some ways after seeing and knowing that you can't save everybody? You know, he's not Superman. He's not super fast. You know, he there are only few people he's going to be able to save. So, like, dealing with that would just be really tough. And so, to me, it brought up a lot of questions. And I just thought it was really well done. And it, it makes me glad now that we will get glass, we're really going to have a follow-up to David Dunn's story uh, to see what effect this has had on him throughout the rest of his life. And so I, I just, I'm really excited. So, And how perfect is it that it's named Glass? Now that we know. <laughs> Mr. Yeah. Glass. Um, yeah, I, I wanted to add to Matt, to your point about um, his character that it it's interesting too that you learn that he faked the injury from the car accident and that you're kind of guessing the whole time the first time you're watching this movie whether or not he really did um, or whether or not he's ever actually been sick or you know whether or not he actually almost drowned and then it comes out that it was all fake except for the drowning um, and that, you know, 
Elijah was right in that that's kind of his one weakness or his Achilles heel, his kryptonite. Um, and I love that they actually mentioned kryptonite when they say it in the movie. Um, but, you know, that he he did that to save his marriage to or basically to ensure his marriage would happen because he knew how much she didn't like sports and things because of what she does. Um, and he knew, well, that'll probably last longer than a football career. But then it ends up causing sort of that resentment in their relationship where, you know, they're, it pulls them apart and he's feeling like she never wanted him to have these gifts. And then, you know, they're having that date, like their second chance. And she says, you know, I never would have wished you to not have him. And it's amazing to see them come back to that because you're even thinking as an audience member the whole time that she does think that. Yeah, I, I was I was really struck in the film by the way that the whole character arc for David Dunn seems to be a, a person who is like he is at the beginning of the movie because he's been spending his whole life denying a part of himself. Like he's been trying to shut it down and he's been, uh, he, he hasn't been the full version of himself. And that's, that's caused him to, you know, kind of, uh, be reserved from his wife and from his, his son. And it, it feels almost to me as though the moment that he embraces his identity and his full personhood, like all of who he is, that he's able to break out of that shell. And mm -hmm. be like at the very end of the movie, you know, with his family, he's he's happy, you know, at the table, you know, he's he's um, he is himself like he is fully and completely who he is meant to be. And, you know, that's that whole thing that Elijah talks about as well, about, you know, finding who you're meant to be in this world. And I feel like one of the reasons that we get David done at the beginning, the guy who's kind of like maybe willing to cheat on his wife and just, just seems to be kind of coasting through life, you know, um, is because he spent his whole life kind of denying a whole part of who he is. And once he embraces that, it opens up a whole new world of possibilities, which, you know, allows him to save the world in dad khakis. Not, not to, uh, you know, I mean that costume, right? I mean, that's part of this whole thing. I mean, one of the things which I think is so brilliant about this movie is how it takes all of these regular everyday things and turns them into comic book iconography. I mean, his weakness is rain, right? So his cape is a, a rain poncho and it looks like a cape and everything like that. I mean, that to me is like why this movie is so brilliant because every little choice, even down to the, the raincoat that the main character wears, David Dunn, which even that name is a comic book name. Like it's so perfect the way that they construct it to, to have all of those key elements and yet keep it grounded in the real world. It's genius. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the poncho because I didn't didn't even think of it that way. Yeah, it, it's it's cool. I, I think I mean I, I there's a few shots like towards the end where they're like hero shots where you're like, oh okay, that's what they're doing. But I think one of the things that really made it stand out to me over the years was um, that uh, original DVD that came out uh, came with a couple of um, sketches by Alex Ross, 
and they oh, really nice. sort of play that up and and they're they're beautiful uh, and and it really kind of hits the the nail on the head that that's what they're going for well and even if you look at um Samuel L Jackson's attire especially at the end of the movie it's like he's wearing this dark trench coat and you know he looks very much like a villain in the spinning chair or something you know even though he's sitting in a wheelchair in his office yeah and and he talks about like the exaggerated features uh, of the villain and that's how you know he's the villain and then you look at like his hair and how it like swoops off to one side and stuff like that and and Mm -hmm. it's just kind of off-centered it's not symmetrical like you would normally see like in a in a human you know character and i i think that that's just kind of brilliant like you're you're looking at someone who has the features that he himself is describing in a villain and yet you don't put together the fact that he's the villain right genius or that his mother is telling the hero about how the villain could also win with his mind and you're not putting the dots together there either (laughs) when i think uh, you know I think this is one of Samuel L. Jackson's best performances. I mean, you know, Sam has been known to overplay roles um, a bit. Or to play one type of role. (laughs) In his time. Um, But I feel like he's so understated here. And he just plays it so cool. Like, he is the epitome of cool in this movie. And I think that's the thing. Like... He comes off as so helpful and so caring towards David that he does completely fool you as a, as a character that, yeah, you, you once you get to the end, you're like, oh my gosh, he's the villain. And not only is he the villain, he is the mega villain. He's the one mm-hmm. who has created all of these disasters just to see if somebody would survive so that he would have his nemesis. You know, uh, and that I thought that was really interesting, too, because in the idea of identity, you know, for David, it's about embracing who he is, which is the hero. But for Jackson, it's about embracing being the villain. And I was like, well, that's a really interesting theme through the movie is just to embrace who you are. And it doesn't matter whether it's right or it's wrong. You just invo- you just embrace your place in the story. And I was like, hmm. I mean, I don't know if we definitely want to like have that be the thing because, you know, mm-hmm. we don't want people to embrace their villainy, but I, it works so well in this story because by the time you get to the end and you realize, yes, you're in a comic book story, you've seen the evolution of the beginning of the villain and the beginning of the hero. And Sam Jackson just, I think he plays it to perfection. And his motivation is just kind of brilliant. It's like so sophisticated in terms of the storytelling it's a guy whose motivation is to find his place in the world and he knows from reading comic books that his place is to be a villain and the only way that he can prove that is by killing a bunch of people it's not like he was trying to kill people because he wanted to kill people or whatever that was just the only way he could prove his hypothesis and it's just, I mean, it's just so, I mean, we just keep on saying like, oh, it's so brilliant, but that's because it is, you know, just the way that, that all of that, that stuff just like feeds into, you know, itself and everything. And 
I mean, it's just such a such a brilliant structure and a brilliant character, and you really do feel bad for him. You know, he's not the Joker. He's mm-hmm. not, you know, some cartoonish villain. Like, you feel bad for him because all he wants to do is find out who he is. And, I mean, of course, you don't justify his actions or anything like that, but you sympathize with his motivations. You see how he got there. Yeah. 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 Like it still, I feel for that scene where he falls down the stairs in the subway station, because even though it's just glimpses of him falling and then him making that yelling sound, it hurts me inside. I feel like all my bones are breaking too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And And you understand how, even in real life, in a very sad way, that people that have come from a difficult background can then make bad decisions moving forward because they're either just trying to find themselves or they think that, you know, well, this is just how things are. Even if it's not, their their perception of reality is skewed now. Um, And so, you know, like you said, Mike, you can see how he got to his decisions, even though they're the wrong ones. Yeah, and that last shot, you know, where he's, you know, essentially crying, it's it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's the thing that's really neat about the movie because again, it's just playing into those themes of hero and villain and who which one are you? Because, you know, David's desire to find out who he is and to figure that out is not done at the expense of anyone else. Um it as as he figures out who he is, he his um his quest is actually bringing him closer to other people. Whereas you, you know, you see Elijah's whole run of figuring out who he is. And it is at the expense of hundreds of thousands of people. Um, And it is pushing him away from everybody else. It's pushing him away from the rest of humanity. And, and that's, that's the thing of of between the hero and the villain. And, And I think that's a really neat theme to be able to, to play with is you get the, the villain who's ultimately, selfish and you get the hero who's ultimately selfless and and what's great here is is that we play with a hero who isn't perfect but is definitely wanting to be better and then we have the villain who is just wanting to be more villainous and it's like it's such a great look at like evil versus good but in a way that like you said mike it just it doesn't make it feel like a cliche, which is very, I, I don't know how he made that work, but he makes it work here. And maybe that's because that's the trick is that he has your brain thinking, especially when you go into this, it's a different type of movie. And he pulls that, that he slowly pulls the wool from over your eyes, you know, and you're like, oh. You know, and there's something really special about the way that he does it. And I think he picked two great people here in Bruce Willis and and, um, Samuel L. Jackson to play these title roles to go against each other. And it just they they do such a masterful job at it that um, God, I I just watched this movie last night, but I could go watch this movie again. Like, well, as we're talking about it, like, oh my God, I want to go back and watch this movie again. Like, it's that, it's that good. So, 
you, you talk about how it, it, it doesn't feel like a cliche, and yet the whole time they're telling you that it is a cliche. They're telling you exactly how right. it is. <laughs> yes. You know, and like they're the whole literally thing, telling you it's a cliche. I mean, that's another thing which I don't think we really mentioned is, you know, it's the very typical comic book thing of the villain creating the hero, but it's done in such a way that that's what his villainy is not like, you know, Batman dropping Joker into the vat of acid or whatever, or Batman killing Joker's parents or whatever, the other way around, whatever it is, whatever happens in that movie. But it's, it's, Literally, that's what he's trying to do. That's his goal, is to create a hero in order to prove that he is a villain. I mean, that's, I don't know, it's brilliant. Anyway. Well, it reminds me a lot, honestly, of the Flash storyline with the reverse Flash, you know, coming back to oh, yeah. kill his mother because he wants to create the the character that we get in Barry Allen so that he'll have this basically this arch nemesis and everything so it reminds me very much of that that especially that first season of, of the flash on the cw and so um what did you guys think because i completely 100 percent forgot that robin wright penn uh or is it just robin wright now i can't keep track um <laughs> is his wife and i i feel like Shyamalan did a great job with the casting here because her role is very small but I think she plays it really well alongside Bruce Willis. If I remember my casting trivia correctly, um, Robin Wright was Shyamalan's original choice, and because of a scheduling conflict, she couldn't do it. So he cast Julianne Moore in that role. And then something happened where Moore had to back out, but Wright was free, so then he ended up getting to cast Wright, who he originally wanted in the role. Yeah, no, that's funny, because it, it's interesting seeing how it would have been portrayed by so different people. I mean, because Julianne Moore, like, I immediately think of, for some reason, Benny and June. It's <laughs> fair. <laughs> and and she's also a great actress. That's just, you know, different styles. But I think that Robin absolutely did this justice, especially in the scene where she's talking to Bruce about, um, you know, giving their marriage a second go. And she wants to know whether or not he's slept with anyone in the time that they've been separated, but still living under the same roof. And, you know, she plays it cool. Like, Oh, I'll be fine either way. No matter what you say, I just want to know your answer. And then when he answers the relief that washes over her and how happy she is, like she just, played that scene to me perfectly and and made me feel for her so much you know i think i feel like bruce willis and her are are not overplaying anything in this movie you know there's there's no over drama it's all very realistic like this whole movie like i was just noticing even the way that it's shot and everything it feels very natural and so their interactions are very natural, and even some of the camera shots and angles uh, seem to 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 do that when and to give that impression. Like there's that moment where they get home from their date, and um, they know he's gotten the job, and they have a little bit of a conversation. You know, she's leaning up against the post, and then she walks upstairs, and you just leave David just kind of standing there. 
for a for you know few good frames where he's just standing there and he it's, he doesn't know what to do and it's kind of it just it there's such a realism to this movie and I think that really helps uh, with the emotion of the film by not over dramatizing the emotion of it just letting it play the actors portray it in a way that that feels real and I think she does a great job of playing off of Bruce Willis in the sense that you you buy both of them together as this married couple who have been through some very rough times and are trying to find a way back and don't necessarily know how, but they definitely both want to give it a shot here. And I just I really liked that. I, I thought it, she does a great job. And again, she doesn't have a massive role in the movie, but I think it's very impactful what she does, especially, Christy, you called out that scene. And that's a that's a tearjerker right there. You're just like, oh gosh. You know, like, you know what she's asking and it's just awful and uh, it's, you know, the answer there is, is more than she can bear at that moment because she didn't know she'd hear that. And it's perfect. So, yeah, it's really good casting. The photography in this movie is super weird. It's super weird. It's so still and has these weird deliberate movements and the shots last for like well, the entire scene, and it's so deliberate. And it's interesting, you know, like watching Split after this and seeing how Shyamalan's style has changed and, and movies have changed over the span of, you know, 16 years or whatever. It's just, it's fascinating. But this is a very bizarre looking movie for sure. Well, it definitely stands out to me when you mentioned that, Mike, um, the scene um, where right after um, David has saved that family from the guy that broke into their home and they're trying to show how thankful he is that he still has his wife and his son and they're okay. Um, I think the photography absolutely makes that scene where he's carrying her up the stairs Yeah, and that it's like a slow motion on her face and you're only watching his wife, but you're seeing her seeing the change in him and you're realizing then what's happening, but it's all because of how it's shot. And even the scene right before that, where he is saving the the family, where he has this big fight, the big climactic battle between, you know, hero and villain or lead henchman or whatever you want to call him. And the way that mm -hmm. it's just a camera up above the, the room, just looking down at these two guys, just, sort of running into walls and like the hero, like his big move is to basically jump on the guy's back until, <laughs> until he passes until he out, up. you know? And it's like, that's so perfect. And then, you know, that's sort of countered with the, the score, James Newton Howard's like amazing music, which is like the most triumphant thing you've ever heard in your life. And it's like, this is this, the superhero, like beating the big, bad guy and yet the way he does it is like almost accidental I mean, it's so perfect mm -hmm. i mean it's just you know he's riding for eight seconds you know he's just yeah. he's waiting <laughs> for eight seconds you know yeah um and uh, my wife was like does that hurt him or not and i'm like well i mean you know if he can go through a train derailment and be fine i mean it might hurt him a little bit but he seems at this point, like he'd be pretty invulnerable yeah. to anything. Yeah, I wonder if so, it does hurt. 
But yeah, it's a good question. E- either way, we should ask Bruce Willis. It, yeah, he, he, can, he can take it. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and I, you know, just quickly on the photography, because Mike, you mentioned the music, and I definitely want to get to that. You know, I think uh, one of the things, too, there are some nice shots in this movie that remind you that Shyamalan can do horror pretty well. And, like, he has that scene where um, Dunn is standing in the that bedroom and you're just watching through the window with the curtains fluttering. And, like, that's oh, such yeah. a great kind of, like, horror-type scene, it's just the way it's shot. And, and there's some other scenes in the movie that are like that too. And it just, I, I think this may be one of my, uh, this, this may be my favorite shot movie by him in the sense that it is so deliberate. It is so, um, off putting in the sense of like, this isn't modern. We're not switch cutting. We're not doing any of that. We're actually in a movie with people and it feels like we're there the whole time with them. Like there's, there's none of that movie trickery to make you think that you're not in the scene with the characters. I think that really works here for this film because he's trying to build that reality of being a superhero in the real world. And I think he, he finds a way to do that with, by not moving the camera a ton and by not, you know, uh, doing the quick cuts in a fight or anything like you said mike it's just two guys brawling in that bedroom and it's it's one camera angle you know <laughs> like <laughs> there's there's nothing flashy there you know it's weird because almost every scene is like one shot you know and it, it was edited by dylan titchener who's um Paul Thomas Anderson's editor. He did Boogie Nights and Magnolia. And I remember reading some interview at the time and he's like, this movie was extremely hard to edit. And I'm like, why? You just needed to pick like one shot and, you know, stick it next to the other one. But I guess it's, that's, it's sound, it's not as easy as it, as it sounds. Uh, it's apparently extremely difficult and, uh, they did a great job. Well, maybe he felt like everything was so good that he couldn't cut anything. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a good, that, yeah. I like that, Christy. Um, so you mentioned um, James Newton Howard doing the score here. And obviously James Newton Howard has done lots of superhero work. You know, uh, the he worked on Batman Begins. You know, he he's done plenty of other incredible scores out there. But, and it was driving me crazy last night because his theme sounds very familiar to another theme that I know. I couldn't figure it out for the longest time. And then finally, I just kept whistling it to myself, and it finally came to me. The hero theme here is almost identical to the Smallville theme in Superman the movie. It's very, very similar. And and I, I thought, wow, that's a great job, because what that evokes then when you hear this is that sense of ultimate heroism once David Dunn is a fully the hero? And I was like, wow, it's a good job. I mean, he, I mean, you're just you're aping the best, um, but it works really well for this movie. There's some some Batman stuff in there too. It, it feels like, which is kind of funny since it, it doesn't sound like yeah, his Batman right. stuff. It sounds like Danny Elfman's Batman stuff. And I like too that it feels like it. With the score and with everything else in this movie, sort of like what you were saying, Matt, that it's letting the moment breathe 
and making it feel so natural and not forced and not like it's taking fancy camera work or throwing in, uh, as we've mentioned with some other movies, throwing in a song or a cover song that doesn't make sense in the moment. Um, it's just... It, basically looking at everyday people going through extraordinary circumstances. Um, and I, I think that the score fits so perfectly with that. And I really felt it the most in the scene where um, David is realizing he's in the middle of the pool cover and you're just seeing the edges peel away and then the music along with it and everything. It just it makes you feel like, Oh no, <laughs> we're going to lose our hero. What are we going to do? Where's the movie going to go from here? Um, I, I think it just, that speaks to how incredible all of it fit together. Yeah. There's a, there's a real sense in the score. Like, uh, you know, at the beginning it's, um, there's, there's more percussion to it. There's more, um, of a, uh, a slightly more modern sensibility to it. But as we move forward into the score, we get into that more heroic, type of feel we get basically more into uh, the superman type feel with a john williams type of 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 classical um romantic hero score and and it really brings it to light and he, and i think the thing i like about it is that it's done well so that by the time we finally kind of open up that hero theme we're ready for it you know, and I feel like he's done a great job of kind of priming us in that sense. It's like uh, one of the things I loved, you know, when you finally got the hero theme in Man of Steel at the very end where it's fully uh, portrayed in all of its glory, you know, at the very end of the movie where it's just it, it's blaring out like I'm ready for it at that point. Like I, I've been spending the whole movie and now I'm waiting for this music to happen. And I feel like he's done that same thing here with this, where you, you get to that hero moment and you're just like, you're ready for it. You're ready for the hero music. And then he gives it to you and you're like, yes, you know, it makes you want to like, it gives you that the emotional reaction that you need to push you over the edge to be there right with the hero character. And so, you know, I, with the deliberateness for the camera angles, with the music, with everything else, I feel like Shyamalan did something very special here. And so... It kind of leads us all the way to the end, which makes me wonder if you're going to rate <laughs> this movie, how do we want to rate this one? I don't, I, you know, I mean, we've been raving about it all night, Mike. What do you think? Uh, what's the, what's the scale that we're working on? Uh, yeah, let's, we, I think out of five we is go good back enough. and forth. All right. I would say <laughs> five out of five. Yeah. That's fair. I can understand why. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Christy? Yeah, I, I know. I don't want to rock the boat. I've got to agree with Mike uh, because I really can't think of anything that draws back from this movie for me. And maybe historically my ratings have always been high. I don't know. I've been accused of that lately. Um, but I um, I feel like with this movie, it like we've said, it, it fits so well as a whole with the music, with the way it's shot, with the casting choices. Um and then with making it feel realistic and grounded um, and not an outlandish superhero story. It's a everyday hero story. And then bringing in the comic books, which all three of us apparently love. So obviously we would love this movie based on that. Um, I think it has a lot to like. I, th I think maybe if there was one tiny thing I would take off, um, 
I wasn't super fond of the back and forth sometimes between he and his son. I felt like maybe the scene where um, his son was going to shoot him was a little too far, but I get why it was there. Um, But I mean, I really can't still take anything off for that. That's a personal preference. So I say a five out of five too. Yeah. You know, I've really been struggling. Like, do I give this five or do I stay with my four and a half? I just don't know. But it's somewhere between a four and a half and a five for me. Like I, I right now it's at four and a half, but I could easily see myself going, you know what? No, screw it. It's just five. Um, this really is such a good movie. And I I don't I think the thing about it is how well it does what it sets out to do. And uh, you know, that's the thing that makes the best movie is when a filmmaker sets out to do a thing and then is able to do it in such a way that makes it look effortless. And I think that's the thing that I feel like we've been saying this whole time is that everything that he's wanted to do has worked and it it worked in a way that we didn't even expect it to be able to work and therefore it kind of just blows our minds. And so... It makes me wonder, you know, was I wrong about Split? I guess we'll find out next week um, when we come back and talk about it. But I'm so glad that we've talked about this movie uh, because it is fantastic. Like, it, it's just, it is a stellar film. Um, and, you know, having talked about uh, The Matrix last year, looking back at that film, you know, gosh, man, 1999 was a, was a, rip roaring good time for for movies um and and i'm glad to see that the movies from that that era are still holding up strong so 1999 is the best year in movie history hands down could be (laughs) it could be Hmm. thank you so much uh for for joining us here on the 602 club it's been a blast i really want to say a huge thank you to our social producers here through patreon I got Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Daniel Noah, and Ryan Millette. These guys have been supporting the network for a long time through Patreon and the show. Um, And now they know something that's very important. This is a massive network, and there's no way that we can support the whole thing and keep it coming to you each and every week without your help. So go to patreon.com slash trek.fm. That is the way that you can support us uh, and make sure all the shows here on trek.fm keep coming to you each and every week. Um, it's it. There's a lot of shows coming, especially when discovery is uh, happening. We've got five shows on discovery alone, plus everything else coming out in the network. Go over to patreon.com slash trek.fm. See how you can become part of the team. We've got some great contribution levels you can give at, but honestly, every little bit helps. So again, it's Patreon dot com slash track fm mike fantastic to have you back here in the 602 club to start off this 2019 and a brilliant film to have you on um you know i i feel like the last few times we've had you on you know like jupiter ascending not great that was a good movie i i I maintain that that was a good movie So, but here, no questions asked, brilliant film, but man, I know you're super busy in the podcasting world. Where can people find you if they want to check out what else you're doing? Well, I'm doing one of those uh, five discovery shows, uh, Tracks from the Edge. Uh, we got to have you on, Matt, because I know you're you're such a big fan. 
We've got to get your take on Discovery. <laughs> uh, I'd love that. And uh, you can also find me. I think Max probably holds my place for a lot of that, the way I feel. He so. he likes the show. He just doesn't love it. You've got to, you know, I, I mean, I, it's, you know, as, as Christy is learning, you need to like something just the right amount. If it's too much or too little, then you're a terrible person. So, you know, he just doesn't like it the right amount. Anyway, oh, I see. Um, gotcha. <laughs> uh, but you, I, I mean, you thank you for finally explaining the internet to me. So <laughs> no problem. That's what I'm here for. Uh, yeah, uh, you 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 also uh, can find me on uh, filmdamagepod.com, where Max and I do a show called Film Damage, where we take a look at movies from the perspective of the projection booth. Uh, got a Last Jedi commentary up there, so uh, head on over there and check it out. A movie which. I imagine Max liked more than you, so uh, there you go. It's possible. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I've not heard Max's thoughts, so I might have to go check that yeah, out. Yeah, filmdamagepod.com. Check it out. Uh, and then you can also find me on thenerdparty.com doing a new show called Retro Perspective, where we take a look at the movies released 25 years ago this week. Uh, with John Mills. So, yeah, head on over there. And um, also, you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K. And new co-host, Christy. Um, where can everybody find you? hey Uh You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BespinBell. I have to say, though, I think I like Mike's name better. <laughs> um, that's funny. And then uh, I'm also on, um, obviously, here now, um, co-hosting 602 Club with Matt. And I'm uh, regularly on the Star Wars Report lately with my friend Bruce. And uh, hopefully soon we'll get Riley Blanton back on. Um, And hopefully starting a new project soon with my friend Teresa Delgado. So stay tuned for that. Awesome. Well, definitely make sure you're following both of these people and uh, checking out what they're doing. Uh, You can find me here on the network doing The Orb with Chris Jones talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Uh, I am on a bunch of social media platforms under the name MattRushing02. That's on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and Letterboxd. You you know, all the usual suspects. Uh, You can also find me on the Nerd Party Network with Mike Schindler, Uh, but I'm doing a show with a good man that we both know, called john mills and uh, it's called aggressive negotiations star wars podcast we love talking about star wars each and every week we just pick a great topic that we've been thinking about we got a lot to celebrate this year because well star wars celebration is coming it's the 20th anniversary for the uh the phantom menace um and so yeah we might have some fun things coming down the pipe as we work towards episode nine this year so uh and then uh, you can also find me doing a show called outposts which is with drea kaufman as we talk about all about harry potter one chapter at a time and then last but not least coming back for the new year is cinema stories that i do with my friend courtney where we talk all about films through the lens of faith but thank you so much for joining us and y'all come back now you hear (laughs) 